You're listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded on the second Sunday of Lent, March 17th, 2019 a reading from the book of Genesis. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my own household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age." And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down, and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So my wife and I, we were watching a uh, cooking show on Netflix, and it's the the Big Family Cook-Off. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a lot of fun. It's great. They have these family units, uh, and each gets to have three people on their team, and they cook some of their favorite food, and it gets judged by the judges. It's kind of like the the big British bake-off, if you've seen that one, but it's it's more diverse because you get to eat all kinds of food, not just baked goods. So in this show, they, they have all these teams, and they're working against each other, trying to create the best food that they can create. And we noticed one woman who was cooking, and she had short sleeves on, and you could see scars on her arms and a little bit on her neck. 
And it wasn't clear from her story. They didn't really tell us what the, the scars were from. They didn't give any indication about them. They didn't really acknowledge them. But we couldn't guess what had caused those stars. Scars, not stars, scars. That's later in the sermon, stars. Preview, <laughs> spoiler alert. Um, so she had all these scars, and we were wondering may, what, what would have caused the scars. Was it an accident? Was it some kind of an injury? Was it some kind of abuse that she had suffered? The woman seemed happy, but the scars on her body pointed to some kind of difficulty or adversity at some point in her life. And the thing is, we all walk around with wounds and scars and pains. Some of us have visible scars and visible wounds, and others of us, those scars are, are buried deep down somewhere in our hearts and in our souls. But we all walk around with these wounds and these pains. Sometimes they're hidden, though. Sometimes we have silent wounds that nobody can see, and yet we carry around with us, carry them around with us, and they're, they're burdensome to us. When we look at the story of Abraham today, I think we see a wound kind of like that. Not an external wound that you could see. Abraham was in a pretty good place, and we'll, we'll learn more about that in just a second. But we're going to learn about a wound that I think was an unseen wound for Abraham. But the very first one to speak in this passage is not Abraham, but God himself. A lot of the time what we see is someone crying out to God, and God answers them. He responds to them. But in this case, God is the one who speaks first. God is the first mover. And the Lord speaks to Abraham and says, Fear not, Abram. This was before Abraham was named Abraham. He was Abram back in those days. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Why did God say, fear not? How did he know to say, fear not, to Abram in this particular case? In this passage, it, it actually comes immediately after a pretty amazing victory that Abram had just won. His nephew Lot had been captured by a foreign power, and there was this clash of nations, and Abraham enters into the fray, and in the end, God delivers Abraham and his men. Abraham is the one who brings decisive victory in this situation. Abraham is the one who saves his nephew Lot. And it's right after this that God speaks to him and says, fear not, I am your shield. That seems kind of strange, right? He might say, congratulations, Abraham, you won the victory through me. We actually saw that in the, the previous uh, chapter, but that's not what he says here. He says, fear not, I am your shield. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, and before he gives them the Lord's Prayer, he says this, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. Your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. And before God had even asked Abram, before Abram had even exposed himself to God, God knew that the right thing to say in this moment was fear not. Because Abraham's immediate response to God is to share his deepest point of pain. 
Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, and your reward will be very great. But Abraham said, Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. That was Abram's pain point. That was his place of suffering. It was a wound no one could probably see, although to be childless in Abram's day was a a shameful thing. But it was something he carried around with him all the time. God had promised some time ago that he would bless Abram. And that he would give the land of Canaan to Abram and that his descendants would own that land as well. In fact, this same promise is repeated at least three times before we get to chapter 15 in Genesis. Abram was 75 years old when he first heard this call from God. That's well past the normal age of of childbearing. I'm sure it's possible that someone at 75 has has, uh, been able to have a child, but I think it's probably the rare case. But you can hear the cry of Abram's heart in these words. He must have deeply desired a child. And yet time had passed since God had first promised him offspring. And he certainly wasn't getting any younger. Could he trust God's promise? Would God come through for him? Would God provide him with descendants? That was the deep question of Abram's heart. And he wasn't so sure anymore. But God then immediately assures Abram. He says, I am true to my word, and and the thing I promised you before is exactly what I'll give you. And he gets even more specific than he's gotten before. He says, this man, Eliezer of Damascus, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. God is explicit about that. Your very own son shall be your heir. And then he brings him outside and we read that famous passage that I just shared with the kids. Look towards the heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. And of course, you aren't. If you've ever tried, you'd lose count pretty quickly. So shall your offspring be. That's God's promise to Abraham. So shall your offspring be. They shall be as numerous as the stars. Even though up to this point you have been barren and you have had no children, so shall your offspring be, as numerous as the stars. And then the very next thing is Abram's response. He believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now the New Testament actually makes much much noise about this passage. There are at least three or four New Testament passages that directly quote from this and and point back to it as a decisive moment in Abram's life, but not just Abram's life, a decisive moment in the people of God. Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, what is righteousness? Righteousness is a a right standing before God. It has to do generally with our, our moral resolution, our ability to stand firm in the face of temptation, One commentator says, Righteousness is the fundamental Old Testament virtue characterized by a godly life lived in conformity to the law. It is the righteous who enjoy God's favor. 
But here, the narrator underlines the significance of faith in that before Abram has proved himself righteous by his deeds, he is counted, that is regarded as righteousness because of his faith. So Abram isn't regarded as righteous before the Lord because of what he's done, but because he believes God's promise. He believes God, and it's counted to him as righteousness. God continues this story by reminding him of another promise, that of land. The Lord says, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur out of of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And then we hear another cry of Abram's heart. Oh Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Is that a question you've ever had from your heart? You know the promises of God, but you wonder whether they're yours. You wonder whether they'll come true for you. The things that God has promised, maybe even specifically to you, you you have a sense that God promised you that he would give you these things, but you haven't seen the fulfillment of them yet. Oh Lord, how am I to know that these things will be true? How will I know that these things will come to pass? And there's two main ways that we can discern them, and there are two ways that Abraham himself could discern them. The first is in the words of God himself as he reminds Abram of this promise of land. He doesn't say, I am the Lord and I will give you land. He says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. God, right there in his introduction of this promise, is reminding Abram that he has been faithful in the past. I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. I am the Lord who brought you to this place where you are right now. And there's lots of things that we can look at in Abram's life and can attribute directly to the blessing of God. God had allowed Abram to become very rich. Just two chapters before that, we read about how Abram and his nephew Lot, who had been traveling together up to that point, had to separate and go their separate ways because both of them had increased so much in cattle and in gold and in silver that there was conflict between their their servants who were herding their cattle for them. There wasn't enough land to satisfy all their cows and sheep and, and other things, and so they had to go in two different directions, into two different lands, to give their cattle enough space to graze. Abram wasn't just some guy with a tent wandering around with 30 sheep. Abram had huge flocks. He had huge numbers of servants. Which brings us to this battle that he had just come out. When Abraham went into that battle, he brought with him more than 300 of his trained soldiers. That's not just some wandering shepherd. This is a man with great power, with great riches. And so God has blessed him with riches, but he's also blessed him with people to follow him. And he's blessed him with a good and pleasant land. And he's blessed him with victory the victory of this decisive battle that's just been won. And all of this must be fresh in Abram's mind as he's hearing God make these promises. I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. I am the Lord who has given you this increase. I am the Lord who has blessed you with people and with land. I am the Lord who has blessed you with victory. Abraham knows by now that when the Lord says something, he always keeps his promises. And the same is true for us today. 
The longer you live as a Christian, the more experiences you have of God's past faithfulness, and the more you can recall those experiences when God calls you into something new and uncertain. There's an old song that talks about when you're feeling down and in the dumps, you should count your blessings. And this is a similar idea. When you're feeling like you're at a a dead end, at a road that's terminated, remember God's past faithfulness and remember that he never brings you to a place just to leave you there. But there's always more beyond. And so you can remember the ways that he's blessed you personally in the past. You can remember the ways that your friends who know the Lord have experienced God's blessings in the past. And beyond that, we have a blessing that even Abraham didn't have. We have the scriptures, which recount over and over again in their pages the ways that God has carried his people through thick and thin, through good times and bad times, and has always delivered them and always brought them to the place where he desires for them to be. God is so trustworthy. And so when we're unsure about the direction that he's leading us in the future, All we have to do is turn around and look to the past to see the ways God has blessed us, has blessed our families, and has blessed his people throughout the centuries and millennia. So that's one way that we can go that Abraham went when he was wondering, how will I know that these things will be true? We can look to the past and remember God's faithfulness to us. But the other thing, and this is God's response to Abram when Abram asked this question, The other thing is God's covenants. There are lots of covenants that we read about, and actually this passage here is one of the most important. Abram says, how am I to know? How am I to know that this land you're promising me will actually come to me? And the Lord says to him, Bring me a heifer three years old and a female goat three years old and a ram three years old and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. That seems kind of like a strange response. How am I going to know that I'm going to have land? Well, bring me some animals. That's that's a... Why would God do that? What's that all about? But Abraham doesn't seem confused. In fact, the Lord doesn't give him any further instruction, but he knows just what to do with these animals. He goes on and he cuts them in half. He brought all of these to God and he cut them in half and he laid them half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. That's gross, right? That's gross. Remarkably so. But Abram knew just what to do. This wasn't confusing to him. God says, bring me animals, and he knew what to do. Cut them all in half, kill the ones that you don't cut in half, lay them out in this way. It was, it was something common to him. It was something he was familiar with. Why was he familiar with it? Because this was the way people made covenants in his day. Right? So today we, we make business deals, and we make contracts with people. And when we do that, we, we cut animals in half, right? And we lay them. No, we don't do that. We, we write on pieces of paper and we sign our names with signatures. In Abram's day, they didn't sign pieces of paper with signatures. They laid animals on the ground. Why? You might ask. That's a good question. Why? Well, we get a little glimpse of why in, uh, in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 34, verse 18 
the Lord is speaking. He says, and the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut into and pass between its parts. That sounds kind of similar, right? Cut a calf in two and walk between its parts. That's the way they made covenants in Abram's day. Why? Well, first of all, it was memorable. If you cut a bunch of animals in half and you walk between them, you're going to remember that you did that. That's a a visceral kind of an experience. (laughs) But also, because you were invoking uh, something greater than yourself. You're saying, if I break the terms of this covenant, may it be to me as these animals are. May I be ripped apart. May I have my life ended in this violent way. That's obviously not something you want to happen to you. And so it was an incentive to keep your covenant, right? (laughs) Yes. So God is making a covenant with Abram. And Abram knows exactly what's happening. God, Abram asks, how do I know that this is going to happen? God says, well, let's make a covenant. Let's make a covenant in the way that we all make covenants. Thankfully, we don't do that anymore. Although you could have a nice barbecue afterwards. In this case, God causes Abram to fall into a deep sleep. In a normal covenant, the parties would make their deal, they would make their agreement, and then they would walk next to each other between those pieces. That's not what happens here. God causes Abraham to fall into a deep sleep. And then we see a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. And this smoking fire pot and this flaming torch are what pass between these pieces of animal carcass while Abram himself lies sleeping. The smoking fire pot and the flaming torch represent God himself. They are what we call a theophany, an appearance of God. And it's God who walks between those pieces. And so this is not a two-way covenant. This is a one-way covenant. God promises Abram that so shall it be to God if he breaks even one word of this promise. God is verifying that his word is true. Abram believes God and it's counted to him as righteousness. God says, I promise that I will give you this land and I will give you children. And my promise, my word is true and it will come to pass. We have the promises of God's covenants with his people recorded in the scriptures to remind us that these covenants are still valid today. God made a covenant with Noah that he will never again wipe out the face of the earth as he did in that day. That covenant is still valid. God makes a covenant with Abram that he will bless him and in him all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that covenant is still valid today. And later, God makes a covenant with his people in his own blood by sending Jesus to the cross to die on the cross for our sin and reconcile us to God. And that covenant is still valid today. And God has given us signs of these covenants, tangible symbols that we can feel and touch and see. And the most common of these are the sacraments. So in the sacrament of baptism, we die to our old life of sin. We literally drown in the water and we are raised to new life in Jesus Christ. It's something we can remember. It's a tangible symbol of what God is doing in our lives, an outward and visible sign of the inward and spiritual grace that he gives us. And we rise to new life out of those waters. 
And when we come to the altar rail and we extend our hands to receive bread and wine, we know that God has promised that what we are receiving is his body and blood, sustaining us and renewing the covenants that he's previously made with us as we became his children through baptism, children of Abraham through the promise. So when we doubt God, when we wonder how we know these things that God has promised will come to pass, we can rely on his past faithfulness and we can rely on his covenant promises. Abraham's pain point was his lack of offspring. What is your point of pain in your life right now? In what ways are you waiting for God to come through for you right now? Sometimes we need to wait a long time to see the fulfillment of a promise. And that's uncomfortable. And it was certainly uncomfortable for Abram. At this point, he's already been waiting some period of time from God's first promise to this moment. And he's wondering, is this going to happen? And then later, he tries to take things into his own hands. And he has a child by his wife's maidservant. That wasn't God's plan for him. That was taking the promise into his own hands and not waiting for God to come through. But ultimately, God does come through. When Abraham is, get this, 99 years old. We don't have anyone in our church that's gotten to 99 yet. Imagine having a child at 99 years old. That's when God's promise comes through for Abram in this case. And then that promise of land, this is what God says to Abram while he's sleeping and while that smoking fire pot and flaming torch are passing through the pieces of carcass. God says to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. And you, you shall go to your fathers in peace and be buried in a good old age. These things that God is promising to Abram come to a partial fulfillment in that At this point, Abram is dwelling in the land of Canaan. He's got his tents there. He's got his cattle there. He settles there. He buys a field there, and he buries his wife there. But his people do not actually possess the area from the Nile River to the Euphrates River. That's a massive piece of really good land. Abram didn't occupy all that. It was occupied, in fact, by a lot of people, by the Kenizzites and the Perizzites, not Perizzites, Perizzites, the Amorites, and a lot of other people with ites names. Maybe they were related, I don't know. It was occupied by all these people. Sometimes we don't understand why God is taking so long to come through with with the things that he's promised to us. But you can trust that there's always a reason. And you can trust that when God seems slow to fulfill his promises, it's not because he's being hard on you. It's because he's sovereign and he knows what's best for you. And you just haven't had a chance to see what that is yet. In the case of the Amorites, what the Lord says is, they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. The Amorites were still the rightful holders of that land. They were a sinful people, but their wickedness hadn't become wicked enough yet to its fulfillment for God to kick them out. 
It's kind of like when you show up at a hotel and they say, well, you're welcome to be here, but your room's not ready yet. You just have to wait 400 years and then we'll show you to your room. That's what God's saying to Abram here. This is going to be your land, but it's not yours yet. The promise is yet to be fulfilled. So what do we do in the meantime while we're waiting for God's promises to come through, trusting that he knows what he's doing, even though sometimes we wonder why he's doing what he's doing? What do we do while we're waiting? We don't always understand God's timing, but we can trust that he is in control. In Romans chapter 8, we hear some advice that speaks to this. Chapter 8, verse 25. Actually, we'll start in verse 24. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Sometimes when we're waiting on the things that God's promised us, when we're hoping for those things, we have to wait for them with patience. Trusting that God's timing is perfect and actually better than our own timing if we were to try and bring it about in our own ways as Abram tried to do. Abram tried to bring about God's promise in his own way and you know what? It didn't work out very well. When you try to have a a child with another woman that's not your wife, guarantee it's going to cause some conflict in your marriage. And it certainly did for Abram. Abram tried to take God's promise into his own hands. He didn't wait for God's fulfillment. God calls us to wait for his fulfillment with patience. You say, yeah, Father Chris, that's easy for you to say. But it goes beyond that in Romans. It goes beyond that to say, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Have you ever been in a dark place where you really, you had no idea what to pray? You just, you didn't know. Maybe you were suffering, maybe someone you loved was suffering, and you just didn't know what the right way to pray was. I've been there. And we can trust when that happens that we don't actually need to come up with the words ourselves because the Holy Spirit will pray for us. It says, with groans too deep for words. The Holy Spirit will support us with God's own intercession. And the Holy Spirit knows our hearts and the Holy Spirit knows God's will and the Holy Spirit can put those things together for us. Connecting our hearts to God's will, helping our desires to be God's desires, helping our plans to be God's plans. If we wait on the Lord, if we allow his Holy Spirit to pray for us and through us and to inhabit our hearts, God will put those things together and he will help us to wait with patience. We don't have to do that on our own. When we doubt, when we suffer, we can cry out to the Lord and say, I believe, help my unbelief. Just like the man who was asking Jesus to heal his child. I believe, help my unbelief. The Lord is our help, and he is our deliverer. We can trust him because he has proven himself trustworthy over and over and over again. He has showed us that he is the kind of God, the kind of Father who always keeps his promises. And so we can cry out to him with all of our hearts.
as the psalmist does in our psalm today. I would utterly have fainted had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Oh, wait for the Lord, be strong, and he shall comfort your heart. Oh, put your trust in the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being a God who keeps his promises. We thank you that you are trustworthy and that you always keep your word. Help us to trust in you, Lord. Help us in our unbelief. Help us to wait with patience for the fulfillment of your promises. We pray, Lord, for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Please inhabit our hearts. Renew us and help us to wait with patience and connect our hearts to your hearts and our wills to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.